Well, we're working our way through the early first couple of chapters of Luke's Gospel, and I invite you this morning to turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through to 38. Luke chapter 1, 36 to 38, 26 to 38. And before we read, let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us a repository of truth in your word. We can take it and learn from it and your spirit comes and applies it to our hearts. All that we we should learn and know. And so we pray that this morning. That you would do great work amongst us, speak to our heads, speak to our hearts, change our wills. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 1 verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and desired to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who, is, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So last week we started looking at at Luke's account of the events leading up to the birth of Jesus. And it's important to remember what Luke is doing here uh, in laying it out for us. In verses 1 to 4, we noted how Luke is is writing down an orderly account for us. Um, And he's writing to his friend Theophilus. Uh, so that he may have certainty of the things that he has been taught. And so Luke is spelling out for us that he has source materials. Uh, He's gone to the sources, if you like. He has gone to the eyewitnesses who, who saw all of these things that Luke is about to tell. Luke himself didn't see them, but he's gone to the sources and he's gone to, uh, to find out so that he can write down this orderly account. And Luke has followed things closely, as he says in verse 3. 
So he's not a distant onlooker. He's not just passing on hearsay. Um, but someone who's taken a close interest in the research. She's done the research. She's uh, put it all together. And therefore the story that we have read, and we're going to look at more closely now, is, uh, is not in the gospel because... Luke knew about some nice story they'd heard about, and uh, he said, oh, that would be good to kind of add that in, just for a bit of flavor and and color and so on. He's adding it in because it happened. And Luke has got it from a close source. Now, who would that be? Who would he know or come across who would know all that has just been talked about in verses 26? Uh, to 38. Well, it has to be Mary herself, who's still around. And she is the only human being involved. And, and this, this, therefore, is a, a faithful record of Mary's experience of meeting Gabriel, the angel, and hearing about how her son was going to be born. And Luke tells us later on in chapter 2, in verse 19, he says, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So this is is not like an event which Mary had and experienced Mary had, and then kind of shortly afterwards forgot about it. She's been pondering these things and thinking about them. What's the meaning of these things? What's the significance of these things? And so Luke was able, after, uh, after Jesus' death, to, to be able to transfer this knowledge, this experience into writing for us. So this morning there are uh, well, three things that uh, this passage um, teaches about the, the truth of the king coming. A king like no other that has ever come into the world. Jesus Christ. Now firstly, so three things. Firstly, there is a messenger who comes from the presence of God. And secondly, there's a virgin who stands in the favor of God. And then thirdly, the boy is the son of the most high God. We'll come to that in a moment. But let's think first of all about this messenger who comes from the very presence of God. We meet this angel, Gabriel. It's not the first time that Gabriel has turned up in Scripture. Um, Actually, Gabriel turns up in Daniel, chapter 8. You may have read that. Where Daniel has this prophetic vision, which he has struggled to understand. And after he has seen the vision, he hears the voice of a man uh, commanding uh, Gabriel to help Daniel understand his vision. And it seems that that was one of uh, those occasions where Christ seems to appear in the vision to command Gabriel to instruct Daniel. This man, this mysterious man seems to appear. And it's a kind of Christophany, if you like, an appearance of Christ uh, before his incarnation. Now Gabriel appears again, and we've, we've come across Gabriel in Luke's, uh, earlier in Luke. Uh, Gabriel sent from God and he appeared to Zechariah the priest uh, in verse 19. If you look back to that, 
He says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. So Gabriel describes himself as one who is standing in the presence of God. And here he is sent from God to Nazareth in Galilee. So Gabriel, what what does it mean? Anytime you've got a word that ends with L, it usually has God in it. Gabriel. And it means God is my strength. God is my strength. And I think we can deduce from this that Gabriel is the being, a being who is sustained by God, who lives in the strength of God, and is sent out by God to do God's bidding. And here he appears, amazingly, to this young woman. He enjoys the presence of God, and therefore he is himself holy and pure, but he is ready and waiting to do whatever God says. That's Gabriel. And it's a mark of the, the significance of the message that he brings that he sends Gabriel. He didn't send, God didn't send a prophet or a priest this time. Rather, he sends an angel from the very presence of God to come uh, to Mary. To convey this heavenly message about the child that Mary is going to bear. And it's also, I think, a, a mark of the gentleness with which the message is conveyed. That Mary seems, in a sense, at ease. I mean, there are things that trouble her about the message, but uh, she seems at ease in the very presence of this angel. Um, She is troubled in verse 29, but not by the appearance of of Gabriel, but by the the content of the message that Gabriel brings. And so Mary seems to be at ease with Gabriel himself. And of course this is simply a reflection of the, the way in which God approaches those he loves. God's has favoured Mary, has loves Mary, and comes gently into her experience to give her this amazing message. Tenderness and love from our God. How wonderful is our God that he comes to us in this way. And secondly, we find that... Uh, Mary herself is a a virgin favoured by God. And it it needs to be said that while the the appearance of the angel is a remarkable event, the the place where it happens is totally unremarkable. The only remarkable thing you can say about Nazareth was the extent to which it was unremarkable. (laughs) There is nothing about Nazareth that would commend anyone uh, it to anyone. There is a nowhere town where nothing important ever happened. It's a bit like where I come from <laughs> in Ayrshire and Presswick. Nothing much happens there. It's a nowhere town. And, you know, Nathaniel says in, in John chapter 1, verse 26 can anything good come out of? Of Nazareth when Jesus appears on the scene. How can anything good come out of Nazareth? And yet, 
It was there that God sent, chose to send Gabriel. And then it was to a young girl, um, probably still a teenager. A young teenager, that. And both of those terms, young and girl, often uh, are enough to render her relatively insignificant in an insignificant town. So Mary's a nobody in one sense. The only significant thing about Mary is is that she's betrothed. She's ready to be given in marriage to Joseph. And in fact, you know, betrothal is quite a strong commitment. It's quite it's a lot stronger than our notion of engagement today. People often get engaged without really having any plans to get married in our day. It's a strange thing in in, in our culture. Um, I know some people have been engaged for years and uh, have just never got married and they just stay engaged. But betrothal is a much firmer community commitment. Uh, This is, you're well on the path to getting married. And actually, to get out of a betrothal is more like a divorce. It's a serious matter. And... So Mary's betrothed to Joseph. Uh, she is a virgin. She's never had sexual relations with her husband-to-be yet. Uh, she is uh, a faithful uh, young girl. Now, such relative obscurity, of the, the relative obscurity of the situation Mary finds herself in throws into sharp relief the content of the greetings that she receives from Gabriel. You see, the greeting from Gabriel is not greetings, oh, insignificant girl living in an insignificant town from which nothing good comes. That's not the greeting. (laughs) Rather, Gabriel says, greetings, oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. There is nothing more important than those words to any faithful individual. To hear from God, King of heaven, the universe. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. What an amazing, amazing statement. It's a staggering statement. Because this is, no, this is no snap decision by God. As though he had pulled a name out of the hat and said, well, she'll do. There's nothing random about this. No, this is a young woman who has been the apple of God's eye long before she knew anything about it. And that God has had a purpose for her in his plans of redemption. And that purpose means... She knows the very presence of God in her life. What a great thing to discover that you are the apple of God's eye. What a great thing to discover that that God has a purpose and plan for for you long before you knew anything about it. And that in the fullness of time... He brings you to that place where he opens your eyes to be able to see what he has been doing in your life. This is the testimony of every true Christian. 
to realize that the God of heaven, the highest authority over all the universe, has chosen you and has had you in his mind from eternity past. This is a glorious thing about being a Christian. There is a moment when you come to discover that God is now in your life and has done great things for you. But then you discover also he has had you as the apple of his eye from eternity past. He chose you from before the foundation of the earth, says Paul in Ephesians 1.4. And that now the Lord is with you. Now he has come into your life. So this is no flash in the pan. Many, many Christians find themselves doubting because they've just had this experience and they think, well, maybe that was just a one-off and maybe I'm not actually a Christian anymore. Or maybe I just had a, 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 I don't know, just a weird experience and I can just forget about it. But actually when you come to discover that that's just one step in, in, in a whole set of circumstances that God has engineered for you to bring you to the point where he knows you, then suddenly you think, oh, God has got purpose for me. God has a plan. And he's working it out. He's working it out in my life. So that's what Mary discovered that day. God has a purpose and a plan for her. This insignificant girl in an insignificant town in the middle of nowhere. That's not to say that uh, when Mary receives a message, it's without its challenges. Uh, Mary is disturbed by the news that she was favored by God. You see that there in verse 29. Uh, she was greatly troubled. All, all Gabriel has said is, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And in verse 29, she was greatly troubled at the saying. Tried to discern what sort of greeting that was. What was it that disturbed her? As I said, it wasn't the presence of Gabriel, which you might think would be disturbing in itself. But it's the saying of Gabriel. And she's fearful about it. And so Gabriel recognizes that. And Gabriel carries on with his message. He hasn't actually got to the content of his message yet. But I wonder... Something quite disturbing about knowing that you're favored by God. Uh, and it can't be that the words were unfamiliar to her. The idea of grace was no, it wasn't alien to a young Jewish girl. The, uh, the, presence, the idea of the presence of God amongst his people is not an alien idea. So what was it that, that disturbed her about this? Friends, I... I sometimes wonder how, whether it's easy to, to get comfortable in a religious community, in a Christian church, to say all the right words at the right times, to come to all the right things. But all the time for there to be a certain distance between you and God. You, know, you could be here this morning and you're doing all the right things and saying all the right things at the right times. But your heart may be far away from God. But you're kind of accepting, you're hearing all the words. And you think, oh, that's true, that's true, that's true. But it never quite changes you. You become comfortable, you kind of drift in and out. 
you have an easy acceptance of religion without it really changing anything. And then God comes in and expresses his grace and his favor toward you and suddenly you're disturbed. Here's this angel coming to Mary and saying, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And suddenly it becomes personal to you. Whenever God breaks into a life, I think it's true to say that God brings a profound sense of disturbance to the comfortable life. It's like Jesus overturning the money changers' tables. Everybody's very happy with what's going on and just don't ask any questions. And then Jesus comes in and turns everything over. And suddenly everybody's up in uproar and disturbed by the whole thing. And I think the grace of God can act like that in a person's life. When you come into somebody's life and somebody who's comfortable with Christianity and bursts into your life and suddenly there's a profound sense of inner disturbance about what is just happening to you. I think it's kind of like Paul going to Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17 and the crowds complaining to about Paul that he's, he's turning the world upside down. Do you ever think of that phrase? That Paul, Paul turns the world upside down. How does he do it? He just preaches the gospel to people. But God comes in his grace and, and people become Christians and suddenly the world is turned upside down. Has God disturbed you about the message of his grace? Does his grace cause you to reassess your life and think about it? Don't you think we need a bit of holy disturbance in our lives? God would come and shake us up a bit. Well, of course, we're not speaking here of any old experience. In a sense, Mary's experience is not a paradigm for everybody's experience. We're talking about the Word of God coming in a particular place at a particular time for a particular reason. And Gabriel speaks some more, assuring Mary that not to be afraid, and he begins to speak of why grace is with her, her particularly. And it's to do with the conception of the child that's in her womb. And so thirdly, we come to the Son of God, who is the Son of the Most, the Son of the Most High. So Gabriel tells Mary about the son that is going to be born uh, from her womb. And he says five things about Jesus. Let me quickly run through them this morning. First of all, his name is Jesus, is to be Jesus. And actually, that's not an unusual name. It's an unusual name today. I remember once when I was working in industry and uh, a guy from Spain was coming to work with us and his name was Jesus, or Jesus. (laughs) And uh, everybody had a good laugh about it. I'm working with Jesus. Uh, And it's a strange thing. But in first century Palestine, Jesus was was a common name. So there's nothing particularly special about the name itself. But the occasion into which it is spoken is significant. 
Because Jesus, the name Jesus, is derived from the Hebrew name Yeshua, or Yehoshua, or Joshua. So the Hebrew version of Jesus is Joshua. And Joshua means Jehovah saves. Yahweh saves. And so we have this supernatural intervention where Gabriel instructs Mary to give the baby the name Jehovah saves to the child. Because this is the child who is going to be the savior that the world needs. Not necessarily the savior that the world wants, but the savior that the world needs. Secondly, he is going to be great, verse 32. Um, and if you're a, a mother this morning, you, isn't a desire of your heart that your son or your daughter uh, will one day be great or do great things? Uh, well, it would be for Mary too. She would hope that her son is going to be a great son. Do great things. But Gabriel gives a prophecy. He will be great. Which brings us to the third thing. He will be called the Son of the Most High. Most High here refers to God himself. Uh, Most High above all other gods. There there are no other gods except God alone. Uh, And all other gods are false gods and so on. He is the, the Most High. He is the highest authority and power over the universe. And so this child is standing in a unique relationship to the Most High God. Now some suggest that this is just another way of of, uh, Luke saying that he is God's chosen king. And that's true. He is God's chosen king. And Gabriel spells that out at the end of the verse. But I think I agree with one commentator who points out that the statement comes before mentioning his kingship. He is the son of the Most High. So kingship were somehow dependent on His identity as the Son of the Most High. In fact, He is the unique Son of the Most High. He is the only begotten Son of God. And that this Son that Mary is to bear is none other than God the Son. God the Son of His Heavenly Father to be born into the womb of Mary. What a staggering thing to to hear from me. What, what, you just imagine her thinking to herself, what, what is this? Who is this child? And then fourthly, he will have the throne of his father David forever. And now Gabriel is getting into the realm of, of fulfilled prophecy. Because of course the Messiah was expected to come within a particular genealogical line. Uh, the line of David. And you can read about that. You can read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Where David receives that prophecy of a son who is going to sit on on his throne forever. God is promising to build David's house. But he's looking far ahead of David. And that time has come now. The time has come and it's, it's now being announced to Mary. And I wonder what Mary must have felt about that. To hear that the very fulfillment of the promises to David is now being fulfilled in her. 
What an amazing thing. And she would have been familiar, I think, with the, with the prophecies. She probably knew them inside out and heard them in her Sunday school or Sabbath school. <clears throat> but the thing about people who hear prophecies is, is believing that they're really going to come, they're really going to happen. It's easy to talk about something in the future when at heart you don't really believe it's going to happen. Think about the second coming of Christ. We often talk about the second coming of Christ, but how many of us actually believe it's going to happen? It could happen today. Jesus comes again. It's one thing to hear the prophecies, another thing to believe them. But what if it does happen? What would you do if you knew that nine months from now Jesus was going to come back? Uh, I'm not making a prediction, but you know, it would be a shock, wouldn't it? It would be a shock. And I think your life and my life might actually look a lot different if we believed he was going to come in the next nine months. The promised king is coming. The king who is the son of the Most High, who will be great, who is a king who will save, is being promised to Mary. And fifthly, Gabriel speaks of the manner of the conception of this child. I guess it would be a shock to her to to hear about the manner of the conception. Because Mary, in her immediate reaction to this announcement, points out that she's a virgin. And she's actually pointing out, she's saying, I don't know a man. I've never known a man. I've never had any kind of relations with a man. I'm not going to have any sexual relations with anyone until I'm married. And she obviously doesn't believe this is a son that's going to come through Joseph. And I guess that's pretty scary because in in that society, to be pregnant without being married is a serious issue. There's a lot of fallout that happens in that sort of situation. But Gabriel says in verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Something miraculous is going to happen in the womb of of Mary. As someone put it, half the chromosomes would come from Mary and the other half would be created. And a fertilized egg would be implanted in her womb. That's speculation, but God can do it, can't he? It's all by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this eternal Son of the Most High, the Son from eternity, as John puts it, the Word would become flesh and dwell amongst us. To be like us in full humanity. See, Jehovah saves, but not at a distance. He saves, but not by flicking a switch or snapping his fingers. He saves by preparing the way through revelation in the Old Testament that a king would come. He saves by sending his son then into the world as that king to become just like us, to walk through this world, to be humbled for a season. 
looking to his own suffering for our sakes. He comes to be the saviour the world needs. But also as saviour to be king. The king that now reigns and will endure forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this wonderful revelation through Gabriel. And the miraculous event that is about to happen. And Lord God, we pray we would have that a growing sense of the, the wonder at your saving work for our sake. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.